Amen. Amen. Well, good morning, church. I don't, I'm not coming through my ears at all out there. So, Omar, whatever you can do to help me out, I'm all, I'm all over. Not that one. That's good. So I'm going to talk while Omar helps me out. He'll fix it and figure it out. Well, good morning. We're going to do our best to have some tricks allow me to preach today. Testing one, two. All right, I'm still not coming through the ears. So let me walk you through what's going on today and um, where we are. A lot of people have asked about how I'm doing and about how, um, how things are going. Um, I feel really good. Um, Christy's getting tired of me not having a voice, but I'm, I'm feeling great. Um, about a month ago, I stopped being able to talk in my normal voice, and you've all gone through that with me. But apparently, I haven't had a virus as a child that has reactivated and caused partial paralysis to one of my vocal cords. And in doing so, um, the doctor is pretty confident that it will come back, but is pretty confident that it will take three to nine months before it comes back. And so uh, it's going to be a while. Um, was at Connor's cross-country meet yelling, How can I do it? it was horrible. <laughs> so we were yelling through that and kind of making it, make its way through. Let me turn it on and off again, Omar. So to make me not yell today, I, we put some in-ear monitors, so I feel like I'm yelling in my ears, but I'm not yelling in your ears. So we will get there. And Omar, hopefully you're around back. Church, you'll see me be distracted. We're going to make this work. Ah, oh, yes. You didn't hear that, but I heard it. Thank you, Omar. It's good. So my goal today is to be able to communicate and to share with you. Um, the doctor has asked me a couple of things. She's asked that I, first of all, do not preach as long as I normally preach. So I said, who put you up to that? <laughs> like, <laughs> I want to know. I didn't even tell you who I was visiting with. And so she said, pull your sermons back just a little bit. So I said, okay, we're going to figure out how to do that. So Omar and I today, um, our sermon involves three people. It involves God Almighty. M-I-M-A-L-M-I-G-H-T-Y. It involves the king, Nebuchadnezzar. And it involves Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. So what we're going to try to do today is we're going to get through half of the sermon. And then this week, we're going to do our best to create a podcast to allow the other half of the sermon to be able to be shared with you. If you want to listen to it or subscribe to it, we have a First Baptist Church Pearland channel on uh, Apple, and you can go there. We also have a, an Android version. And so we're going to be able to allow that to happen without me preaching for 35 minutes at one time, which is what she's advised against. I have some great friends at some godly churches, Bay Area, First Baptist Friendswood, Heritage Park, who've all agreed to pitch in to help me preach during this time. So I won't be preaching probably between now and Christmas anytime three times in a row. Um, I'm not going to tell you which ones because some of you, I'm not saying who, 
But some of you think that's a good online viewing time. And so you being here, if you're comfortable, we're happy with that. But they're going to help out. Those are great friends. Those are great godly churches that we um, cooperate with and God's given me a, a support with. So because I don't have as much time as normal, we're going to jump right into the Bible today. Are y'all okay with that? Are y'all good with that? We're going to take a different approach. I was reading this week um, about things that were invented for one purpose and had another purpose. Um, have you ever looked at bubble wrap? Do you love bubble wrap? I love bubble wrap. What's the best thing about bubble wrap? Popping it. It doesn't matter how old I am. I love popping bubble wrap. Sometimes I like popping the small bubble wrap. Sometimes I like popping the big bubble wrap. Do you know why bubble wrap was invented in the 50s? Wallpaper. Someone thought this would be a very cool texture to put on your walls. And so literally, by pressing plastic together with air blown in the middle, someone thought this is going to be wonderful. Apparently they had two-year-olds. Amen? Because they were thinking if they bounce, it's safe. Well, it didn't sell well, and IBM needed a way to ship its computers. And so believe it or not, one person talked to another person and wallpaper became bubble wrap. Isn't that wild? You know what Play-Doh started off as well? In the 50s, wallpaper was not washable. It wasn't vinyl yet. It was paper. And when the coal from the fire from cooking would get on the wall, you needed to clean it. And, they, and a gentleman came up with a, with a solution to it. He made Play-Doh. And Play-Doh would be used to semi-erase coal off the wall. Well, there became a problem when electricity started heating houses and when wallpaper became washable, that was not needed anymore. And so this man started to find himself in financial peril until one day a relative who was a teacher said, I really need a cheap answer to modeling clay. And he said, oh, I have a great product, <laughs> wallpaper cleaner. And so we have bubble wrap and Play-Doh now today, which are great products, they had a very different intent. Sometimes we look at scripture, I think, like the way we looked at bubble wrap or Play-Doh in the beginning. Like it has a good purpose, but we really wish it could do more. And today, I want to look at scripture and God's word clearly. If there's anything we go into that's new to you, praise God. If it's new and unbiblical, you can correct me. You won't find that to be the case. I have been in this chapter now for three weeks. And part of the reason we're trying the podcast is so we're not in chapter 3 of Daniel for the next month. Because this is the most powerful story. So we're going to look at it differently. But to look at it differently, I need to read to you um, what the Lord Jesus Christ says in John. In John chapter 10, verse 7 through 10, this is what Jesus says. So Jesus again said to them, Truly I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. All who come before me are thieves, they are robbers, but the sheep did not listen to them. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy and I came that we may have life and have it abundantly. Now I want you to know that there's a, a clear discrepancy between Jesus Christ and between everything else. Everyone else who desires power, who desires influence, everyone else who desires to be something, to have control. And Jesus makes it very clear. It is the shepherd and everybody who wants to be the shepherd. Like that's it. And they may be the nicest person in the world wanting to be the shepherd. They're still the sheep. 
It may be the meanest person in the world who wants to be the shepherd. They're still the thief. Now look in your Bible with me in Daniel chapter 3. Let's look back at verse 15 through 18 because I want you to see what goes on in this picture here today. This is what the Bible says. The word of God says now, this is Nebuchadnezzar. If you are ready, when you hear the sound of the horn, the pipe, the lyre, the trigon, the harp, the bagpipe, every kind of music, to fall down and to worship the image I've made, well and good. But if you do not worship, you shall be immediately cast in the burning, fiery furnace. And who is the God who is able to deliver you out of my hands? Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego answered and said to the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, we have no need to answer you in this matter. If this be so, our God, whom we serve, is able to deliver us from the burning, fiery furnace, and he will deliver us out of your hand, O king. But if not, be it known to you, O king, that we will not serve your gods, we will not worship the golden image that you have set up. Now here's what I want you to see as we walk through this. In this picture, we, that's how you let something fall. That can stay there, that's all right. In this picture, we see God being referenced, we see the king speaking, and we see Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego together. But in the middle, we have this word, deliver. And this word, deliver, is the foundation for the whole chapter. Everything that happens after this is all built on that word. If we don't understand that word, then we're going to miss it. We're going to think this is a bedtime story for children. We're going to believe that this is simply a cool story of things God doesn't do anymore except during cool books of, of martyrdom. You see, the word deliver means to liberate or to save. Now, now this is key because remember, we're not just talking about one man. We're talking about sin. We're talking about the spirit of Babylon, which has been given dominion. It's given, been given places to run in this world, not just back then, but today. And what the spirit of Babylon says is, I am the deliverer. Me, me alone. You want to know how to do it right? I am the deliverer. You want to know how to run a country? I am the deliverer. You want to know how to make people healthy? I am the deliverer. Do you want to know how to have peace in your life? I am the deliverer. You see, the spirit of Babylon says, listen to me because I am able. And so when the king says, who will be able to deliver you? What he's saying is, this is a challenge, not to you. You see, we get so personally offended, don't we? When people challenge God for us, or people challenge or, or proclaim they're going to do something to us. There's no reason for us to be offended. The challenge here is not an offense to us. It's an offense to our King, the God Almighty. And so, so here, the spirit of Babylon and the King Nebuchadnezzar are laying down a challenge to God. And Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego say, listen, this is crazy. We don't need to say anything. Because this isn't about us. Our God is able to speak. Our God will deliver us. But even if he doesn't deliver in the way that we think, he is still God Almighty. Like that doesn't change things. Church, this morning, we're going to look at God engaging in Nebuchadnezzar. Because that's where the challenge begins. Well, we're going to follow up this week, which I, oh my goodness, I would love to be here for three days. This is one of those times where three to nine months seems like a long time for a voice to heal. 
but we're going to be looking at this week online how God's people interact with that truth. But I want us to interact with it first and see how sin challenges God Almighty because I believe that, man, church, there's a lot of anxiety going on in this world right now. There's a lot of anxiety about election stuff. There's a lot of anxiety about judge and courts and all that is important. Don't hear me wrong, but there's no reason to be anxious about it. There's no reason to worry. I'm hearing Omar talk, and the first thing that everybody says about a preacher is, man, for a preacher to lose his voice, that's horrible. Like, no kidding, I'm the preacher that lost his voice. And so the reality is, and I believe wholeheartedly the Lord's going to bring this and this is going to be a season. The Lord's going to teach me new things. But even if he doesn't, even if he doesn't, he is still able to deliver me into his path, into his hands, in his direction. If you're sick right now, if your marriage is in trouble, you serve the Lord who is able to take care of that. But even if he doesn't in the way that you think, we shouldn't bow to anything else because we have a God who delivers us so as frustrating as it would be for my wife every time I want to get her attention to answer to that, which gets old really fast. <laughs> really fast. Even if that's God's plan from now on. Man, would I want someone who is not the Almighty God to deliver me to a path that the Almighty God does not want for me? No way. No way. Because the spirit of Babylon says, yes, that's exactly right. So the king challenges the king. All right? So this is a direct challenge. Now read in your Bible with me, verse 19 down to 23. This is, man, this is when I wish I could scream and yell because it's so good. The Bible says this. Then Nebuchadnezzar was filled with fury, and the expression on his face was changed. Now, now pause for just a second. This, you can't miss it. The word face here is the word for idol. In other words, what was covering his face broke down, and who he really worshipped was obvious to all. You see, remember, we talked, it seems like forever ago, the spirit of Babylon does not want to make friends with the kingdom of God. It wants to subdue it. The thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. Remember, Babylon calls you to be a part of its society. But I'm telling you, when you stand for Jesus, the mask covering the face of idolatry is going to break. And we need to be ready for the rage that comes with it. All right, that was free. Keep going, keep going. The Bible says this. So he ordered the furnace heated seven times more than it was usually heated. And he ordered some of the mighty men of his army to bind Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and to cast them into the burning, fiery furnace. And then these men were bound in their cloaks and their tunics and their hats and their garments and they were thrown to the burning, fiery furnace because of the king's order was so urgent, the furnace was overheated. The flame of the fire killed those men who took up Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And these three men, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, fell bound into the fire. 
Now listen, you can listen later on. We'll talk about the fiery furnace and all those kinds of things. But it's amazing how when your words are limited, how details like that are not as important as the truth that we're going to talk about. Here's what I want you to know. The king thought of everything possible, every scenario possible, every, every detail. His plan was beautiful in order to subdue the men of God and to prove that their God was insufficient for liberation. What did he do? Well, he ordered the fire seven times hotter. Note to self, if you get thrown into a furnace, you're going to die. Seven times more, he wanted them incinerated a moment. He wanted no possible thought of anything else. So what does he do? I'm going to throw you in. I'm going to have my mighty men come in. Now check this out. When in the Bible does Jesus or the Bible talk about a mighty man? Listen to what Mark chapter 3 verse 27 says. No one can enter into a strong man's house and plunder his goods unless he first binds up the strong man. Then indeed he may plunder the house. You see, here's the great, this is, oh, this is so good. What the Bible is showing here is Nebuchadnezzar believes that the strong men that he is binding are the idols of the Almighty God because he does not know him. And so he is getting his mighty men to bind up the strong men of the Almighty's house so that he can do what? Plunder it. That's what he wants to do. He wants to plunder the God Almighty and the people of God's house. He's thought of this. What else does he do? Just in case the fire is not hot enough, throw them in, bound. We want no way for them to escape. We want, want, want them to know that they are powerless. I am going to show them that deliverance is impossible. On top of that, throw them in with all of their clothes on, cloaks, tunics, hats, and other garments. Why? Because I needed to catch fire. I want them to burn so fast because I am here to take God's glory and eradicate God's witnesses. That's what the spirit of Babylon's all about to take God's glory and to eradicate God's witness. And the king has thought of everything. This isn't new. When Pharaoh thought that the Jews were becoming overpowered, he thought of everything. Just kill all the boys. When Herod heard the Messiah had been born, what did he do? Take God's glory, I am king, kill the children. When the serpent was in the garden fallen from grace, what does he do? I want to take God's glory by destroying the witnesses of his children. Church, don't miss this. I'm telling you, the enemy wants nothing more than for you to not lean into God's ability because you can't get away from your own disobedience. Because all the king is doing is thinking of everything that he can to take God's glory and to, to keep you and I as a witness just eradicated. We cannot fall into that trap. Did Shadrach and Meshach and Abednego, is there a record of them fighting against the mighty men? How about yelling out against them 
How about spewing hate and anger towards them? How about being jerks? Is there, is there any cue of God's people believing that they played any role in their deliverance? There's not an ounce. Why? Because these men are saying, we will not take what belongs to God. If he will deliver us, he will deliver us. In fact, I would tell you today, if they started to doubt God's ability and showed it in their disobedience, that it would have added fuel to the fire. This story would be different. You see, the goal is to intimidate God's people so that we would act in a way that does not glorify God. Peter says it this way in 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 8. This is what the word says. Be sober-minded and watchful. Your adversary, the devil, he prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. Resist him. How? By standing firm in your faith, by knowing that the same kinds of sufferings are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world. You see, the enemy, when he comes at us, he is hopeful that you and I will respond in a way that is disobedient because that's what all of his actions Everything he's done is an attempt to cause God's people to be disobedient, to defame the glory of God, steal it for himself, and eradicate our witness. It's hard not to fall into that trap sometimes, isn't it? I'm sitting here and I can tell you all day long, I'm going to the doctor and I'm, I'm taking my medicines and I'm taking some, I'm eating a little, little bit healthier. Yesterday was a bad day, but I'm eating a little bit healthier, trying to change some things that will help my body heal. But at the end of the day, if the Lord weren't to heal, am I being obedient or will I struggle against him? Because this isn't the kind of deliverance I was picturing. You see, when you and I find ourselves in a situation that looks like the enemy has thought of everything, and we try to go our own way, we find ourselves in poor company. In Isaiah chapter 14, verse 3, way before Nebuchadnezzar was born, the Lord said, when the Lord had given you rest, when he's given you rest, your pain and your turmoil, and the hard service which you were made to serve, you will take up this taunt against the king of Babylon. This is a prophecy. Oh, how you've fallen, verse 12, from heaven. Oh, day star, son of the dawn. How you were cut down low to the ground and laid low among the nations. You said in your heart, I will ascend to heaven above the stars of God. I will set my throne on high. I will sit on the mount of the assembly in the far reaches of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the cloud. I will make myself like the most high. But you are brought down to Sheol, to the far reaches of the pit. Those who see at you will stare and ponder over you. You see, the story is written that the one who desires to be the deliverer and not depend on the true deliverer is laying in the sand bed as Nebuchadnezzar and the morning star you see, I, I think Isaiah 14 looks back and forward. I think it looks back to Satan and his fall and the pride of his heart. It looks forward to Nebuchadnezzar and even to us in this day. 
and all the things that the king of Babylon, the spirit of Babylon does is to show you he has thought of everything so that you might believe deliverance is impossible or worse, you may not desire the deliverance that God Almighty offers. Now check this out. When that happens and you and I stand firm, you should be ready for rage. God never gives you and I permission for rage in our hearts, but we should be ready for the rage of Babylon. Our response is so critical, but our preparedness, that alertness, that sober-mindedness, that watchfulness, that's the key. And don't forget, when you and I find ourselves in this role, we have to understand the enemy's mind has not changed since the fall. The thief comes to do three things. What does he come to do? To steal, to what? Kill, and to what? Destroy. Think about Babylon. I'm going to steal you. I'm going to take you from your homeland. Daniel chapter 1. Right? Kill. I'm going to kill your witness. Bow down to my idol. Can't do those things? I'll destroy. I'm going to throw you in the fiery furnace. This is not a new tactic, and it's not an expired one. The enemy still believes in this today. And so when we understand the mindset of the enemy, it doesn't frustrate us. It encourages us. When the Lord says it's going to get worse before I return and things are getting worse, don't hide. Praise God his prophecies are true. Church, in Scripture where it says he is here and he says, I am the door of the sheep. I am the one who, who know their voice. Excuse me, they are the ones who know my voice. I am the one they find pasture in. God says, this is my heart. But the spirit of Babylon, he has this heart. So don't be anxious, don't be worried because all Babylon is doing is done in hopes that the glory of God will not show up on the scene because his people have abandoned their deliverer because their anxiety and their frustration and their fear have become all-consuming. And today I look at our world and I read stories of people I know that are walking away from the faith and I hear the anger of the people of Christianity and I have to pause for a second and ask, is there rage against you, God? Is there rage against the people of God claiming one thing but living another? And there's an unwillingness to confess if we believe in the deliverer, liberation, salvation, then we're going to follow the Lord into the fire. Because look what happens in the fire. Man, I'm supposed to be short. This is killing me. <laughs> this may not work out. Verse 24. And the king Nebuchadnezzar was astonished and rose up in haste. And he declared to his counselors, Did we not cast three men bound in the fire? And they answered to the king, True, O king. And he said, But I see four men unbound walking in the midst of the fire, and they are not hurt. And the appearance of the fourth is like the sons of the gods. Church, the king is unprepared for the glory of God to show up on the scene. I want you to know every single servant 
of the evil one. Every single servant of sin, every single person that believes passionately in their heart that they have found the king to deliverance and it is not the God Almighty. When the Lord Almighty shows up on the scene, they will not be ready. The Bible says that he was astonished. That word astonished means terrified. It means frozen. You see, because the reality is when you think you're the deliverer and God actually delivers, it scares the stew out of you. Church, why in the world would we fight against or try to create self-deliverance when we could depend on the God whom we know when he shows up on the scenes will freeze sin and the enemy in their tracks? Like, like, why would I want to rush my voice to heal when God can be glorified in his silence? Why, why would I rush to a, to a sinful deliverer when God has shown me that if God's people are obedient and he shows up on the scene, that we are the God's hands and feet to this world, to the orphan, the abandoned, the broken, the homeless, the poor, the rejected? Why would I try to steal his glory when I know when he shows up on the scene, man, the enemy isn't ready for it. How do I know? The king says, after all this, he's terrified. And then he goes near to the door. Verse 26. <clears throat> the Nebuchadnezzar came near to the furnace, door of the fiery furnace, and he declared, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, servants of the most high God, come out. Who does he not talk to? the fourth person in the fire. Do you notice that? Like there's not even small desire to address the God Almighty. Church, I don't care what lip service, I don't care how clean things look, I don't know how overwhelming the enemy looks in the moment. I want you to understand sin likes to talk to God like we like to talk to each other on Facebook, amen? Like no one on the other end can really do anything. But when God shows up in the person, in the presence of his people, sin goes silent. The enemy ceases. Psalm chapter 20, verse 7 says, some trust in chariots and others in horses but we will trust in the name of the Lord our God. Nebuchadnezzar says, I'm not trusting in him, but I'm telling you, I get it. You're servants in the most high God. So he called them out. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego came out. Do you notice who didn't come? Yeah, the one he didn't address. Why? Because God's glory and the gift of grace that he gave to Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego was not for Nebuchadnezzar. And then they says, the Bible says that they examined them Everybody gathered around. The fire hadn't touched them, had no power over them. Their hair wasn't burned. Their cloaks weren't harmed. The smell of fire had not come upon them. Nebuchadnezzar answered and said, Blessed be the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who has sent his angel. And what did he do? He delivered them. He delivered them. Here's the problem. Whether the king wants to agree with it or not, whether he wants to say it or not, whether it hurts him to say it or not, the truth is the truth is the truth. When I said to you, who will be able to deliver you from my hand? He is now saying, obviously your God is. And no other God has been able to do that. Church, this morning, where does your trust lie? 
Does your trust lie in a deliverance from a God who needs your help? I mean, like the God that, that needs just a little something, something from you, like you believe wholeheartedly, not really, but wholeheartedly. And the reality is you're putting your trust in everything else and your fear is showing. Your anxiety is ruling. The rage is rising. All of those things in this story were experienced by one person, the King Nebuchadnezzar. Anxiety didn't rise in Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Fear didn't rule. Rage didn't take over. You see, we can't listen to the voice of Babylon and fight fire with fire. That's not biblical. What's biblical is trust. So I'm not here to tell you that I've championed everything that we're talking about. I'm telling you, this is speaking to my life. But right here and right now in your life, when you look around, does it seem like the enemy has sealed up everything? Like he is coming at you so hard and so fast. Your health, your relationships, your isolation, your job, your future, your, your concern for community, your country. It's like God, everything, because the enemy has surrounded me. I'm about to die in the fire. In this moment, would you lay that down before the King Almighty? Would you tell him, Father God, I don't want to experience what Babylon has told me I must. Because the, the thief comes to steal and kill and destroy. But you, Jesus Christ, have come that I may have life abundantly. Not just one day, but today and moving forward. See, the deliverer is the fourth person in your fire right now. In your fire at work, the fire in your marriage, the fire with your kids, that fire of loneliness, the fire of, of anxiety, the pain and the fire of the, the, the uneasiness in our country. There's another in that fire and his name is Jesus and his title is Deliverer. And deliverance belongs to him. If you don't know what deliverance feels like today, if you are unsure of the way that God moves or works, here's what I want you to know is the shepherd is calling to his sheep. Repent. Leave behind that king. And you bow before the Almighty. Pledge your allegiance to his name. And watch me lead. Let's pray together, church. Father, we love you. Oh, King Jesus, you are so good. You are so almighty. You are so great, God. 
Father, we know that in the middle of the valley of the shadow of death, Lord, we are surrounded by you. Father, we know that when you are challenged by the spirit of Babylon, your people do not need to raise a defense to you. Lord, you are the almighty God. Lord, you are the almighty God, which means I have no might that can be added to yours. Lord God, would you allow yourself to be so physically present in the lives of your people, God? Lord, that you would subdue what we have been fighting. Father God, if there are any online or in this room, Lord, that have been looking for deliverance before they came to you this morning, would you let them throw that into the fire and find deliverance only in you? We pray this in Jesus' name.